This is the Movie Hall of Fame Class of 1985 edition for Friday, May 24th, 2019. Hey. What's up, Adam? How you doing? I'm doing. Are you okay? I had a long week, I'll admit. I had a long week. What do you mean you had a long week? Tell me about it. Just by watching these movies or just in general? No, just watching these movies. Well, Uh, yeah, no, long week in general. Yeah, for sure. Weird things happened in my life this week, no question about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so perhaps I wasn't in the best mind space. <laughs> but then I decided to take a vacation into Adam Hall's mind space. Yeah, and watch like... like It's funny, I'm looking at this list right now, and you went like super optimistic, and I went about as bleak as you could possibly get. <laughs> I don't think there's ever been a clearer divide between <laughs> my types of movies and your types of movies. It's probably kind of true. Yeah, I'm looking at this list right now, and I said it before, this is... One of our messiest lists I think we've ever compiled. No, yeah. No thanks to me, but... <laughs> <laughs> All thanks to you. <laughs> yeah, actually. That actually, is very true. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, this is, uh, this is interesting right here. Yeah, I'm... I, I don't know. I, the, I've been thinking about this a lot. I'm just trying to get, a, get an idea of where you landed on any of my movies. Because I know how you feel about the other ones, but, you know, I introduced you to three films that you hadn't seen yet. Correct. And I nominated three movies that I think, or at least two of them, are popular and people know them and people love them. Yes. And they're pretty middle of the road. I didn't mm-hmm. take any chances. I yeah. went a little dicey with my third option. But then you nominated three movies I'd never seen. And I think you knew in your heart would get a rise out of me. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> you said no to the Godzilla podcast. Yeah, so you need to explain. You that, said that no... <sighs> This was a vengeful move on your part. Yeah, yes, absolutely. It's a vengeful move. I wanted to talk about Godzilla. This podcast has really turned into a cold war <laughs> of sorts. I like this started as like a fun game, and you have let it devolve into this vengeful, <laughs> bloody battle. And every week when you nominate movies, you seem to do it just to irk me. Not necessarily. That wasn't the case for two thousand seven. Just every once in a while, it's like, oh, oh. And we're not going to do that. Well, fuck you, Nico. Take this. Because, you know, I, I knew we would get here eventually. This list was always going to be like this. Okay. It was always going to be this way. But I was going to put it off for a little bit longer. But then I was like, you know what? No, let's just jump right into 1985 because he doesn't want to watch six Godzilla films. And I think that's a reasonable thing, by uh, the way. They're, they're, I want to point no, out how... Okay. You could have gotten through six Godzilla films. So Godzilla King of the Monsters is coming out. Yes. So Adam threw out this idea that we do an episode devoted to the Godzilla franchise, and he was going to nominate six Godzilla movies, all of which I had never seen. (laughs) I was going to have to watch them within a six-day period and then talk about them with you. And I can't think of a reality that is more like hell than that reality. I mean, that's just, it's, it's suicide. What it's do you horrible. Mean it's suicide. It's, it's fucking giant monsters beating the shit out of you each other. You cannot ask me to watch six movies, many of them dubbed in the English language because they're originally in Japanese. Accurate. And then have to sit there as you jizz all over yourself for an hour and a half on a podcast. No, that's I, not reasonable. I Adam. could listen to you try and talk about them. It'd be great. It would be so much fun. They would love it, Nico. That's a bad time. So I vetoed this idea, and then you got mad at me because I said, "All right, <laughs> pick another year." And then you pick 1985, which is one of, I, I think it's safe to say, the weaker years we've done so far on this podcast. I, it probably is the weakest of all of the years we've done. Mm, uh, maybe not a good year 
but no, 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 not like I mean, this is a strange year, in my opinion, especially I mean, I, I honestly believe these are the best films of that year. OK, I honestly believe that. And that's funny considering the kinds of films that they are. Right. And how they range in quality. Sure. So <laughs> they do range uh, quite broadly in quality. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you came up with this year. We nominated the six movies. Um and I have my thoughts, and I guess we'll get to them when we get to them. Yes. But I just want to put it out there for the listener. I'm in a weird headspace <laughs> after subjecting myself. <laughs> this took up... You know what? I just want to point out something <laughs> for a second. Because you got a lot of nerve. You come onto this podcast <laughs> Sunday morning. We're doing Why Is This a Thing. Uh-huh. You can't carve out an hour and a half of your week <laughs> to do The Born Legacy, a movie that Jackie wanted to do for six months. And then I subject myself to over five hours of this. Actually, more than that. It's, wait, no, six to seven hours. <laughs> to my credit, I was never home that entire time. Enough week. of you never being home. I was never home. I was not home a single day. I didn't have my computer with me. There was nothing I could do. I was always with Abby. Dude, I had to suffer through the Game of Thrones finale, <laughs> the Jeremy Renner born movie, these three piles of shit, and then I had to do multiple podcasts. <laughs> Next time, you have no more excuses. <laughs> My God. By the way, you nominated the worst film on this list. Wow. That's true. So I don't want to hear that talk about pieces of shit. <laughs> you, you absolutely nominated the worst one on this list. <laughs> oh. That's not even a question, mister. <laughs> I can't wait for this. All right. Before we get into it, a little bit about the year 1985. Highest grossing movie of that year by a mile, Back to the Future. Yes. Followed by Rambo, First Blood, Part 2, Rocky 4 at number 3, The Color Purple at number 4, and Out of Africa at number 5. One of the weaker Oscar years, in addition to being one of the weaker movie years, I guess that comes uh, hand in hand. Out of Africa wins Best Picture over The Color Purple, Kiss of the Spider Woman, Preetzi's Honor and Witness. Oh, I have never seen any. Actually, I've seen The Color Purple, but I have not seen Out of Africa. I hear, though, it is one of the worst Oscar winning movies of all time. Okay. I've never seen it either. Yeah. I have seen Kiss of the Spider Woman. Really? Mm-hmm. How's that one? It's weird. Okay. Uh, Sidney Pollack wins Best Director for Out of Africa. William Hurt wins Best Actor for Kiss of the Spider Woman. Yep. Geraldine Page wins Best Actress for The Trip to Bountiful. Best Supporting Actor goes to Don Amiche for Cocoon. Angelica Houston wins Best Supporting Actress for Preetzi's Honor. Uh, I think we can just skip over that entirely. What a terrible year for the Oscars. Oh, yeah. Way to go, Academy Awards. You blew it. Yeah. Yet again. Well. National Film Registry let three movies in from the year 1985. They are, of course, Back to the Future... The Breakfast Club, and The Goonies, which was controversially snubbed from this list. I mean, it's not that great, but whatever. I also don't love The Goonies, but I, it is a beloved movie for that yeah, generation. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I, no, I like The Goonies uh, actually quite a bit, but I mean, if you want me to just be honest about it, I mean, it's, it's a lot of things that that movie does not do well. Yeah. What do you want? Um, a real nostalgia bait movie, yes. that movie. Yes, yes, And was a product of the 80s, I think. Sure. And if it came out any other time... It's not even remembered. No. 
never mind remembered fondly. It's upsetting though. It's I mean it's a it's not a Spielberg film, but it's a Spielberg film in spirit. Yes. And well, he produced it. Yeah. It's weird that like a, a movie like that wouldn't age so well because so many of his films like that have aged quite well, particularly Back to the Future, sure. which we'll get to. Yeah. Honorable mentions. I was really scraping the bottom of the barrel for these. Exactly. Well, this is what I'm talking about. Here's what we got. Brewster's Millions. Funny comedy. Richard Pryor. I never even heard of it. You don't know Brewster's Millions? John Candy's in it. It's the guy's like has $10 million. They give him $10 million, but he has to spend it all in a day or else he loses it. So it's kind of like that. That game that you play with yourself. If you won the lottery, you had to spend it all immediately. What would you spend it on? That's what this movie is incarnated. Okay. Clue the movie. <laughs> a personal favorite of mine. I like Clue a lot, actually. <laughs> One of the most terrifying film experiences of my life. <laughs> what? Dude, I was eight years old when I watched this movie. I had nightmares. There's nothing scary about it. I was terrified. What? <laughs> when uh, Mrs. Peacock gets stabbed in the basement, mm-hmm. she comes out, she's got a knife in her. Oh, terrifying. Okay. Or when the maid got killed in the kitchen. Interesting. Cocoon, Ron Howard. Eh. Yeah, I agree. Commando, a personal favorite of yours. Fucking love Commando. <laughs> it's terrible. It's an awful movie. Oh, but it's so wonderful. So wonderful. Color Purple, as I said. Eh. Yeah. Uh, Fletch, Chevy Chase. Pretty good comedy. I don't like Chevy Chase, though. I know you don't. Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, the third best Mad Max movie. Love that movie. Yeah. Out of Africa, as I said. Pee-wee's Big Adventure. The other movie I considered putting on this list, Large Marge. Mm. Another terrifying childhood moment for me. (laughs) I haven't seen Large Marge. Rocky IV? Mm. We've, no, well, we've talked about Rocky IV enough. Teen Wolf? Never seen Teen Wolf. Haven't seen it yet. (laughs) It's been on my list for a long time, but I'm like, yeah, I'll get to it later. (laughs) It's what it is. It's kind of crazy. Back to the Future and Teen Wolf came out same year. This Jesus, like this year sucked. What a year for Michael this, J. Fox. I, <laughs> this year sucked. <laughs> and finally, Weird Science. Oh my God, Weird Science. Oh, I love that crazy fucking movie. <laughs> this year was terrible. <laughs> yeah, not a good year. This is all your fault. It's not all my fault. I picked the right movies. It's all your fault. What do you want from me? You picked a year. Ugh. Well, yes, that's true. We were going to get to it eventually, though. And you pissed me off. So there we go. And I guess maybe I pissed you off more. <laughs> so I guess it's all my fault at the end of the day. Is that what you're saying? Yes. There right. we go. It all comes around. So I want to start on a positive note. Let's just go uh, in the order that I have them written down. Here are the six movies up for induction from the class of 1985. Back to the Future, Return of the Living Dead, After Hours, Brazil, The Breakfast Club, and Ron. We'll start at the top of the list. Okay. With a movie that I nominated. Yes. Called Back to the Future. Yes, that's correct. Written and directed by Robert Zemeckis, starring Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, Leah Thompson, Crispin Glover, and Thomas Wilson. Mm. Won the Oscar for Best Sound Effects Editing, was also nominated for Best Original Screenplay, Best Sound, Best Original Song for The Power of Love. AFI's number 10 science fiction movie of all time. Yes. I have had three favorite movies in my lifetime, mm-hmm. Adam. When I was a kid, it was Lion King. I know. When I turned like nine or 10, 
it became Back to the Future. And then when I turned 16, it became The Godfather. Cool. So this movie is near and dear to my heart and is still in my personal top 10. One of my favorites. Yes. It's everybody's favorite movie. It's one of my favorite movies as well. Yeah. How could you not love Back to the Future? Yeah, it's impossible to hate. I know. It's, it's so weird. No, this movie is just about as watchable. It's maybe one of the most watchable films ever. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's what is it? It's in the 85. This is like the height of like Spielberg wonderment that everyone wants and is craving for. And right. you get a shit ton of movies like that. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's certainly one of the better ones, even if it's not, you know, made directly by him. Uh, it's an interesting movie in that it's uh, clearly the best in the series, although it's funny. I don't think it's the most iconic. I would probably, yeah. I'd probably consider the second one slightly more iconic, which is even more ironic because I think the second one is the worst. Sure. <laughs> well, the hoverboards and that depiction of the future, I guess. Everyone loves uh, the flying DeLorean as well. Right, but the image of the classic DeLorean is more iconic than the flying DeLorean. I guess. Right. Yeah, so I mean, kind of evens out. You don't have two without one. What about the? Sh- everyone knows those shoes. From what I, yeah, Beat It is a very classic. Like when a lot of people think of that movie, for some reason they think of Michael Jackson's Beat It for some. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. Um, I I think though, Back to the Future, the original, is still among the most iconic movies of all time. Accurate and weirdly has like a 100 percent approval rating. Like, By every oh, you yeah. mean like there's not a single person who dislikes. This I don't movie? think I've ever talked to anyone who hasn't liked this movie, and I've talked to people that haven't liked virtually every movie that's ever been made like it's impossible it's close to impossible besides like toy story or something mm-hmm. for a movie to have that high of an approval but i think back to the future shawshank redemption is another one it's just impossible to hate now does that mean that it is inherently better because more people like it no but in this case it's a really special type of popcorn movie and yes. that it's beloved by both film snobs and the regular movie-going public. It's the best popcorn movie perhaps ever made. Maybe. Yeah. That's close. It's just like, I don't know. It's a movie that kind of does everything right. I don't know. I, I what's a, it's, it's again, and I, we, we always arrive at movies like this where I'm like, I don't know what to say about it other than, you know, I kind of like everything. Yeah. I'm not like, I, I, I guess I'll say this. It's not like, I wouldn't throw it in my top 10. Okay. I'd probably throw it in like my top 50, uh-huh. you know, but again, that, that I don't want to take it anything away from it. It's just, you know, it's just, it's, it does kind of gives you everything that you would possibly want in a movie. I mean, it's just fun and it's funny and the characters are all great and you kind of want to hang out with them forever. Yeah. Even, even the weird ones like Doc Brown. Sure. No, it's like, how could you, how could you go wrong? Uh, what do you think Doc Brown's relationship to Marty is? I just thought that uh, Marty was snooping around his garage one day and then he found him and he's like, all right, I'm going to like, like, you know, force you to do some penance for breaking into my house. And then they just got along. Oh, you think he's a drug dealer, though? <laughs> yeah, I think he's Marty's pot guy. <laughs> what makes you think he does pot? Come on, dude. What makes you think Doc Brown yeah. does pot? Come on. What the hell makes you think he does? Well, first pot? of all, he has marvelous skin. <laughs> yes, that's true. So. <laughs> Beautiful, glassy eyes. Yeah. Uh, marijuana can, I think, enhance that. <laughs> yeah. It's not the plutonium, Marty. <laughs> Marty, Marty, we have a problem. The time travel car, it won't start. What are we going to do? You have to lick my balls, Marty. Lick my fucking balls. That's Rick and Morty. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Rick and Morty, I don't like that show, but it's like a direct parody of Back to the Future. And I think like created 
that archetype. It's one that you see in pop culture over and over again. Yeah. So beyond just the imagery, what I want to like emphasize about the film's legacy, because we're talking about that as a category, yeah. not just the imagery and not just the quotes are iconic, but the story and the characters are iconic. Oh, God, yeah. And I think that's what defines a legacy of something more than anything else. It's not just the, where we're going, we don't need roads. <laughs> it's like a a storyline and there are character moments that are instantly recognizable. Mm -hmm. And that is a special type of transcendence. This movie is transcendent for that reason. Even if you haven't seen the movie though. Yeah. And like you said, it's just, there's not a single thing about it. That's like not lovable. Yes. It's like, and even just little character moments when they go up to the, I don't, I always forget the guy's name, but when he's like, you're a slacker, I don't, I don't, I don't know what it is about that, that kind of style. I just think it's just so charming. I guess yeah. that's the best way to describe this movie. It's just charming to me. Right. You know, you have like these also, yeah, you're right. These little characters on the fringes, like yeah. the janitor in the diner that ends up becoming mayor and, mm -hmm. uh, all this stuff with the clock tower and, and, and the hippies that are handing out yep. the save the clock tower flyers. It's, it's just such a, a, a full world that you want to spend more time in. Mm-hmm. And I I just think, you know, I could watch it a million times and it'll never wear off. The wonder and the sense of awe will never wear off. And it takes the craftsmanship very seriously, but even if the story itself is kind of silly. Yeah. That's what I always... No, but it's silly, but it makes sense, though. No, I know. It's it's sort of rigidly structured and it, ha and it, it, it knows what it's doing. It's not confused as to where the plot's going. Again, it's, it's a time travel plot and I'm generally critical of movies about that just because, you know, the idea is so hard for me to wrap my head around but here be, again maybe it's just the style and the tone but i kind of just go along with it yeah it's just the perfect movie for this it's like okay just guys just go with it sure. it's fun it's silly and you and you and i both know it's fun and silly so let's just go for the ride and we just and, had an argument on why is this a thing about time travel and the logic and in specifically the movie interstellar yeah and uh i think this movie is a perfect example of if it's well done and the story is told in an effective way. Mm -hmm. You ignore the logic and you just go along for the ride. Because yes. it's not about the logic. Sure. My problem with Interstellar is that at points it kind of is about the logic. Yeah, I understand your point. So I disagree with you, but I understand your point. It's like, stop taking so much time to explain this to me. It's like, I, you're ruining it. Just let it be. Yeah. Eric Stoltz was originally supposed to play Marty. I know, but he was a fucking asshole. So he worked with Zemeckis <laughs> for, I believe, four weeks they have all this footage shot, and you can see it on YouTube. If you ever seen the footage, mm -hmm. it's just bizarre. Yeah, I to know. watch someone else other than Michael J. Fox in that role, even he is iconic. As like again, now when you see Michael J. Fox, it's, he's always going to be Marty. He's Marty McFly. That footage is crazy. I'm so happy they recast it because there was something not quite right about Stoltz's performance. John Lithgow was also the first choice to play Doc Brown. Also would have been a bit strange yeah. if it's not Christopher Lloyd. Everything about this movie, as you said, is perfect. Um, I don't think there's anything else to say other than it's one of my all-time favorites. Um, and try to find something bad about it. And uh, I, I defy you. I don't know. <laughs> there's nothing. There's nothing bad to say. Yeah. Crispin Glover's great. Biff Tannen. I, I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we could talk about the other entries. Even though I love those movies. No, there's nothing to say. We're yeah. talking about this movie. Okay. So, good on you, Back to the Future. Yeah. You we'll talk about you in a minute, I think. How do you rank uh, those those movies, by the way? One, two, three. Okay. I, I told you. I go one, three, two. I know. 
We've had this argument before. We never had the argument. We just said, like, I like this one better than this one. <laughs> Back to the Future 2 is a wonder. <laughs> it's a marvel. It may come up on a later podcast. Who knows? Hoverboards still run on water. <laughs> unless you have power. <laughs> The only problem with those movies, and it's the same thing. It's literally the only it's problem. The same thing. Dude. There is one flaw: the whole "What are you, chicken?" thing. Ugh. It's so I, I don't know. It, like that one goes a little too far with the silly for me. When all of a sudden did Marty McFly become a snowflake? Where you just shout <laughs> "chicken" at him, and then he he's ready to tussle. Well, does he ever do that in this one? I don't think he does. No, he doesn't. That's yeah. the thing. Two and three. All of a sudden, the chicken thing becomes a major plot point they establish that and i hate manure I yeah think. yeah which is kind of weird no manure comes up in one well he hits the manure in the first one but i don't yeah. think he actually says i hate manure okay so yeah which is weird yeah no i i find the second one just to be kind of it, it, it gets to i i don't know what it is about i think it's a lot of the choices just don't work for me it's it's a little too ridiculous i don't like any of the future stuff it's it's just like uh it almost becomes too kid friendly for me even with even though the whole series is very kid friendly in that way well it's also like kind of dystopian and bleak and eventually cynical, it is yeah yeah which is what i love about it and i love biff as a villain mm-hmm. i just always found that stuff very compelling i do like that stuff that's one of my favorite scenes of the film but then they go back and they basically retread all of the uh, the original which is like yeah they do eh, the end fine. game thing it's fine it's whatever i'm with you all right here we go let's get into it now okay Return of the Living Dead. Yeah. <laughs> Written and directed by Dan O'Bannon. Mm-hmm. Writer of Alien. Accurate. Starring a bunch of people you never heard of. Mm, Linnea Quigley. Uh, 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 what's his name? David Karen. <sighs> who just died recently. God rest his soul. Yeah. You, 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 you go ahead. This is, um, it's a zombie film that has absolutely nothing to do <laughs> with anything regarding George Romero's films. It is. Well, no, not really. It, it references those films oddly. It's very, uh, like, pseudo meta, if you want to call it that. It's sort of Scream in a little, in a way, before Scream became a thing, or Wes Craven's New Nightmare, or any of that. Um,. And it's uh, it's an interesting film in the sense that it's uh, it kind of breaks down a lot of rules that zombie films traditionally set up, takes away any sense of optimism that some of those films have, and it actually establishes the trope of zombies eating brains, which is a constant cliche. And everyone's when they whenever they talk about zombies, they like why do they eat people's brains? And I'm like, well, they only eat people's brains in Return of the Living Dead. Get it right, you fucking moron. But it's a uh, it's a great movie. It's a great, very fun, albeit extremely bleak film uh, set in uh, L.A. during the, the, the punk era and the AIDS phase, and it has a lot to do with that. And uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting time period to set your, your zombie film. It's uh, not, not a Nico movie, though. Partially why I picked it. 
When are you going to stop doing this to me? <laughs> Why? When talk, is this going to stop? Talk about your experience with the movie. When, no, when is this going to stop? No, talk about I your... I want to know what it is... <laughs> it's not going to... ...with st- you guys and your obsession with this subgenre. And when you're going to stop thrusting it upon us, the more and more we ask you to stop. <laughs> it doesn't... There are bad zombie movies, dude. This is not one of them. Okay, I'm just asking, <laughs> when, where does this end? What are you talking about? Where does this end? What do you mean? Explain yourself. Stop being so... You know. I'm not being vague. I'm just... Vague? You, is, y'all, y'all. And I'm speaking about guys like you... What? You, what? Are obsessed with these movies. <laughs> and I want to know why you insist on talking about each and every entry in these franchises. This is not even part of... I mean, it's part of... I the, don't care what franchise... I don't... I, like like why? zombie movies? Why, Adam? Because they're fun, man. They're a shit ton of fun. You know what else is fun? Getting a hooker. That's fun too. But some things you don't talk about over and over and over again (laughs) as though they're important. You know, these movies aren't important. Going on a hike is pretty important too. You know, it's fun. I enjoy that stuff. Oh my God. Kicking us. It's it's about as fun as, you know, playing soccer. (laughs) What are you, what's your point? All movies are fun in a certain, well, not all, but, but the point is to be entertained. And that movie is so fucking entertaining. Okay. (laughs) And it's funny, too. That's the other odd thing. If I am forced to split hairs, which is, I guess, what I am being forced to do, this is among the better zombie movies I've ever seen. Good. Yes. Okay. That being said, I am not a huge zombie fan. And I find um, the scholarship that was devoted to these movies to be... uh, Painfully pointless. <laughs> what do you just, mean? Just painfully pointless. What do you mean? No, I just think like for some reason, like film snobs or even like the filmmakers of today have been have put so much time and energy into studying these movies, and mm. I'm not sure there's much to study other than they have lots of tits in them, and they're violent, <laughs> and they're gory, and they play on. Like, 13-year-old boy impulses. <laughs> sure, like, fine. They don't really have a lot in, of tits in them, usually. This no, one kind of does. All right, but... In that way, they are fun. Yes. But again, there are a lot of experiences that are fun, but are not necessarily worthwhile. I disagree. And I don't find this ride to be particularly worthwhile. I don't see myself walking away with this movie from this movie with a a more well-rounded view of the world i haven't been taught anything new mm-hmm. like and i'm so again i'm there, not sure you really, why do you really take anything away from like every movie you see i mean even good movies that you see recently i mean i certainly don't doesn't mean i don't enjoy those movies i mean a lot of mo- movies recently that i've gone to see in theaters i mean i learned nothing about them or nothing about the nature of the world or humanity or anything but it doesn't that's honestly at a certain point depending on the movie that's less the point i learned i learned more from watching this than i did watching fucking avengers dude yeah but there is some there's a there's a broader range Mm. of of emotional reaction you get from avengers i would say it's broader in return of the living dead (laughs) see i don't find that there are two reactions it's either ew that's gross or haha that's funny or it's interesting I'm not exactly sure what's so interesting about these movies. Okay. I'm, I'm really, I'm not sure. I'm not getting it. And obviously, I'm in the minority because Sam Raimi and the Coen brothers and 
the, and plenty of horror directors of, of the last 10 to 20 years have been directly influenced by movies like this. Yes. And I'm, I'm with you. I'm still, I'm not seeing what makes them so special. And what about the zombie subgenre specifically is so special? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like they made Night of the Living Dead. George Romero changed cinema with that movie. Yeah. And so every other zombie movie that comes since is just as revolutionary. I'm not I seeing didn't say it. that. No, I'm really, I'm not seeing what it is about zombies as opposed to vampires or, or giant sharks or, or werewolves. Like, I, I don't know what it is about the zombie subgenre. Is, are you, are you getting mad at the community who, who like, like, puts these things up on a pedestal a little yeah okay because i'm not doing that okay i would never i would there's there are uh there are two zombie films that i would put up on a pedestal you know three maybe and i, I would i would go night of the living dead the original dawn of the dead and i suppose uh 28 days later that's probably it those are the only ones that deserve any like conversation in regards to like like cinematic impact yeah. I suppose this one it's more of a cult film in that way and that's why I very to, much so I talk about it as a cult film the only thing it influenced was the way zombie fans look at zombie films. that's the only that's, influence yes. but again but that I'm, is such a minuscule why are you getting mad at me detail, <laughs> I mean I'm not I am not talking about this film in that way because we're trying to nominate the six best movies of the year and, and this is wh- not one of the six best movies what are you of the talking year? about yes it is <laughs> it absolutely is I don't think it's even a question. And in terms of impact, all we have to say is the zombies ate brains and moved fast and talked. Yes. That's it. it came, and it came out in the AIDS era, which is why this movie had any sort of like like notoriety. Because it, de- it definitely borrows themes with that and the way people were dealing with it and whatnot. And certainly uh, like the social paranoia for that reason. Yes. The, yeah. The, it, the, the it, hypersexuality of its teen characters yeah. is definitely a running yeah. theme. No question. And I love the idea that uh, it, it was so bad that even, even the, the, the punks who are essentially the anarchists who basically are fine with the world going to shit, even they can't stand it. Yeah. <laughs> that idea is just kind of funny to me. But it actually illustrates that time period uh, pretty eloquently for me personally, even if the ultimate idea is extremely bleak in the end. But at the, again, at the same time, the movie doesn't necessarily feel mean spirited, which is why I can have a good time enjoying it, even if it's uh, kind of dark. Well, it doesn't feel mean spirited because the catch line, the catchphrase is literally they're back from the grave and ready to party, <laughs> which I don't even agree. Like when I saw the movie, because I saw the tagline before seeing the movie and I'm like, oh, this is going to be like a laugh riot. And then I saw the movie. I was like, I mean, there's funny scenes, but this is extremely dark shit. That's what I thought anyway. I mean, just just the scenes of uh, like our lead characters dying after they were exposed by the, the the gas. I found that stuff to be hilarious, actually. No, no, no. Like when they're like sticking out their tongues and stuff like that. Like, yeah, it's re- to me that's really disturbing. I thought it was kind of funny. Oh, I God. actually like those two actors, the ones that die after the oh, exposure oh, of the James, chemicals. James Karen and Tom Matthews. Yeah, yeah, they were hilarious. I wanted more of them, and I love oh, their banter at the beginning. Oh no, that, that stuff is hilarious. when they're killing the dog. Yeah, yeah I, I dug <laughs> oh, we that. have to kill it. <laughs> yeah, I kill dug it. that stuff. Oh yeah, that stuff's great. And I did. I kind of liked how they brought um, the idea of of the undead to its extreme. Yeah. You literally cannot kill, kill them. Yes, which is it's uh, scary un- though. Yes, until you burn them. And they play it for laughs, and it's very slapstick. Like, at the beginning, they stab with the pickaxe in the head. They yep. stab the one zombie, and then they, they slice its head <laughs> off. And I just sort of found those antics to be amusing. They yep. were amusing. And mm-hmm. it was, I, in my opinion, more physically hilarious than verbally hilarious. Yes. 
that being said, this is just silly nonsense, Adam. How are you watching this movie, though? I'm very curious. What do you mean? Like, like I, you're, you're, it's, it's almost as if you were watching it, except expecting something a little like, like greater. I mean, it's not that there's nothing to gain from this movie. There's a little bit there to to carry it forward, which is why it's had the life that it has. But it's just a fun movie. I guess there's just a lot of baggage with this whole subgenre. Ugh. I think, I think that's what it is. I think we're exposing some of your bias. Well, fair enough, Adam. <laughs> because no offense, Nico, I think this is a great film. Great! I think this is a great film. Great! I think, I, And if I'm just talking about craftsmanship, just the way that this movie is made is kind of awesome. <laughs> I think I think if you're making a zombie film, this is an, an awesome template to abide by. It's certainly where Zombieland got a lot of its inspiration. So I want to point out that this was actually based on a book by John Russo. Mm-hmm. John Russo is the author of Night of the Living Dead. Yep. Correct me if I'm wrong here. This is what my research led me to. Well, So he wrote Night of the Living Dead. He collaborated with George Romero on the film version of Night of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. But they sort of split off because I guess creative differences. I'm not entirely John sure. John Russo was a fucking asshole. Okay. He retained the rights to the Living Dead franchise. To the title Living Dead. So any movie with the phrase Living Dead in it belonged to him. Yes. George Romero was allowed to continue his series. He just had to drop the living. Mm -hmm. So he ended up making Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead. So that's why these movies are in separate timelines. Yep. However, this movie sort of explicitly says that it was inspired by Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> yeah. Because there's a character in the movie that says, remember that movie, Night, Night of the Living, Living Dead? Yes. That's a true story. Those bodies are actually buried underneath this warehouse. And then they go get those bodies, bring them back to life. So it's kind of at least paying homage to the movie that it's ripping off, which kind of. I also kind of respected that, that they were explicit about the fact, yeah, this is just Night of the Living Dead with boobies and more slapstick comedy. Kind of. So, cool, I guess. It's a self-aware movie. There is some interesting horror. There's some interesting comedy. Some fantastic makeup effects, by the way. Yeah, okay, uh, sure. Yes. What, you don't, you don't like the makeup? No, it's cool. <laughs> it's fine. Yes, it's, it's part of the piece. I have a hard time turning my mind off for these specific movies. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe I, that's what it is. I will call it better than... Uh, it's 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 definitely better than one of these movies, and we're about to get to that movie. Wow. And I like this next movie. How dare you? I like this next movie a lot. How dare you? What? You don't like After Hours? No, I really like After Hours. You have to understand, I love every single movie on this list, except for After Hours. <laughs> after Hours is the only one where I'm like, no, yeah, that was really good, but like, like yeah, like like Scorsese, like it's it's not not one of your better films. So who I'll cares? call it I'll call it underrated. But I mean, incredibly it's, underrated. I'll also call it disposable. <laughs> yeah, no one needs this movie. Directed by Martin Scorsese, written by Joseph Minion. Yep. Who also wrote a little movie called Vampire's Kiss, <laughs> which makes perfect sense. Actually, it kind of does. It's like, oh yeah, wow. It's like the same. That's not the same movie, but it kind of is. <laughs> yeah, sort of. A man in his thirties, 
un- unravels into chaos in the so middle of New York City by like by like urban pressure all yeah. the time. I mean, that's literally what this is about—a guy trying to get through just ur- the urban pressures of the day. Yeah, kind of similar. One a way better movie than the other. No, Star- <laughs> starring Griffin Dunn, Rosanna <laughs> Arquette, and a bunch of like those guys. Yeah, from the eighties. Like, there's a bunch of those old comic actors. Terry Gar shows up. Yeah, John Hurd. Catherine O'Hara, Cheech and Chong are in this movie. It's a real who's who of uh, of uh, 80s comic actors. Mm-hmm. It uh, takes place, as you said, in Soho, New York, in uh, the middle of the night. Yep. The, the plot, I believe, begins around 1130, and it centers around a guy who wants to have sex with a girl, and she's downtown, and so he's got to go downtown, but he has no money, and uh, the night unravels from there. Yep. It's like a it's a movie where the plot is constantly going, going, going. It's a lot of movement. It's it's a lot of like Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> sort of. In in terms of in terms of the way like like I, I like movies like this where it's like the, the story demands that the characters need to keep moving, otherwise they're fucked. Yeah. It's just an it's just a nice premise because there's always a sense of urgency. You're always kind of on the edge of your seat and it and it, with the stakes in this movie, I honestly don't know what's going to happen because I always feel like anything could go wrong. Yeah. Because every, everything essentially does go wrong. Which is an unbelievable thing when you're watching a movie that in some ways is conventional. I mean, Scorsese is not reinventing the wheel with his direction here. You have no idea where it's about to go. No. And unpredictability is an awesome thing, especially with you and I who see a lot of movies. Oh, God. Yeah. It's very hard to surprise us moment to moment. But watching this movie for the first time, I had no idea where it was going. <laughs> it's sort of it's weird. Well, no, I agree. It's it's a movie about a guy, like again, a, a schlub wearing a suit, just trying to get from one from essentially A to B to C to D, and so on and so forth. And it's kind of exhilarating. Yes. So yeah. Have you ever had a night like this? Yeah. Because I have too. Oh, every, I feel like everybody has, which yeah. is why it's so oddly relatable. Maybe not to this extent. It's not sure. Like, it was not exactly to this we're not, extent. We're not being uh, put in casts or molds or whatever the fuck happened in that scene. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully you weren't with a young lady who OD'd after you walked out on her. Hopefully that didn't happen I've had, to you. I've had people worry that they were about to OD. Okay. My brother has walked in on someone who's OD'd. Oh my. Multiple times. <laughs> yeah, my, my family life is interesting. Yeah, I... Um, there's one night in particular from college because I lived in Boston and Boston is a weird place. Like any city is a weird place. Even I know that. At 1130, 1230 at night. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there was a night where um, I somehow ended up outside of my dorm room without a key to get in. And two strangers were having sex on my mattress which had found its way into the bathroom area of my suite while the lady was on her period. That happened to me one time. And I remember the feeling of this night is never going to end. Like I may not survive this. Like, you know, I, I couldn't get a hold of anyone. No one had a key to get it. I, I was in my pajamas and I ended up just wandering the streets of Boston because I had nowhere else to go mm-hmm. and I ran into like motorcycle gangs and drug dealers mm-hmm. who were just hanging out in the middle of the night and cops were messing with them and uh, 
it, it was like terrifying. I, I would never want to go through anything like that again. Oh, God. But the feeling is so vivid, and that's what this movie evoked out of me. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, and as you said, that's what makes it so relatable. It's like, oh, we've all had one of those nights, you know. Right. Yes. No, I like this movie a lot. I'm not I'm not going to throw any shade at it. I don't think we've nominated a single bad film. I just think that there's something about this movie when it wraps up where I just kind of leave me like, oh, that's it. Eh, OK. You know, like that was a fine time. I, I don't. Wow. I just see. I don't think that's that's I, the case for me. Uh, I don't. I never. This is. I. It's not one of Scorsese's films. I mean, it's not even about Scorsese. It's just that I don't necessarily feel the need to come back and revisit this. I suppose if it's on, maybe I'll watch it, but I could f- see myself being like, all right, I, f- I kind of want to find something a little better. It was great. It, because it's you, it feels disposable in terms of like the tone or what? I don't even know because I just, I, I don't. I, are you coming into it with the baggage of this is a Martin Scorsese movie? Not even, no, 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 no. Because there are plenty of films that I was surprised that were a Scorsese film, most notably Hugo. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's one of the best movies I've ever seen. Okay. And this was like, okay, yeah, because I'll let him do whatever he wants because it's Scorsese. He's awesome. And then I, uh, but then I just watched the movie. And I'm like, yeah, that was a good, fun, solid time. It feels like, uh, like what's a what's a good? Uh, I always try to do this with the directors. Like, I don't know. What's another... What's a film by Spielberg that's... You'd be surprised as a Spielberg film, but it's kind of okay. Uh, Munich? Munich? No, 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 no. I mean, like... Uh, I don't know if there's... A, or maybe Ready Player One. Sure. Yeah, no, that's a good... Yeah, how okay. about Ready Player One? You know, yeah, there you go. Okay. Similar kind of experience. I don't have any reason to go back and watch Ready Player One. I think this one's a lot better. Yeah, it's better than Ready Player One. Because in many ways, it is like a straight dark comedy mm-hmm. that is played for laughs, and there are comedic actors in it. But there is this sort of underlying sense of dread, mm-hmm. because you feel like the guy is fighting for his life. At a certain point, especially when the mobs of people are coming after him yeah. for God only knows what reason. And that's something that only Scorsese can really achieve with comedic material like this, like... Obviously, John Hughes could have made this movie mm-hmm. or Christopher Columbus could have made this movie and it would have been a crowd pleaser. But his involvement uh, brings with it this this sense of dread and dreariness. Yeah. And, and uh, hammers home the point that, yeah, nothing good happens after midnight. Yeah. So stay indoors. Yeah. Like Don't it, leave. No, he adds a certain stamp of authenticity to it that you wouldn't get otherwise. And a lot of that is just due to Scorsese's relationship with New York. Sure. So Yeah, he, the sense of place in this movie is awesome. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. No, it's a very good movie. It's a very, very, it's a solid, it's an awesome film. It's, it's, a, it's a fine dessert, you yeah. know? Tim Burton was the first choice to direct this movie. Um, I could, you know, I could almost see that working. Almost. Scorsese was not involved in the development of the script. He came on afterwards when Last Temptation of Christ was delayed. That was... Is a, that what happened? Yeah, that was a historically disastrous project. Yeah. And so, like, the sets were built and everyone was cast and they were ready to go. And the studio pushed it off. And he was so fed up with how the studio was handling the project that he stormed off said i'm not gonna let this bother me i'll just make another movie in a few weeks um and he specifically said and maybe this um this explains some of your lack of enthusiasm said that he wanted to make a movie that was all style and wanted to prove to the powers that be that he had not lost a step behind the camera he was not just making heavy 
material like Raging Bull or Taxi Driver. He was capable of just making a movie with the power of the camera and how he moved it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, in in a way, this movie feels like it's just a fun ride and that's it. But I actually give it a lot more credit. I think it, there is more under the surface. Sure. Um, and, and that's why I would love to revisit it sometime, even though I only saw it once. Yeah. It's definitely, it could be one of his most uh, accessible films aside from maybe Hugo. Yeah. And that's about it. But yeah, no, this is, a, yeah, it's a surprising film from by Scorsese, but a, a an oddly pretty good one. Yeah. Yes. Again, it's just like what there is to mine from it. I mean, again, there's something. I think there's something to every film on this list, some more than others. But again, with this one, I'm just like, yeah, okay, I got it. You know, I, I get the idea pretty quickly. And after that point, I just kind of go along for the fun ride that it is. And there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. I don't want to take anything away from it. It's a good movie, Nico. I love how your reaction to After Hours and my reaction to Return of Living Dead was exactly the same. <laughs> what do you mean? I didn't talk. It was exactly. I didn't talk. Oh, you, you mean just? I think I was a little more reserved and and you know. I was more like, di- it's fine, but disposable. I was more diplomatic. Oh, you think Return of the Living Dead's more disposable than After Hours? Oh, oh, fuck give me off, a fucking bro. break, dude! Knock you, it off! You fuck off! Get out of here, man! I don't want to hear your shit. Let's go on to the next one. <laughs> Oh, great. <laughs> oh, yeah. We have another one. <laughs> Let's talk about Brazil. Oh, boy. Written and directed by Terry Gilliam of Monty Python fame. Correct. Starring Jonathan Price, Kim Greist, and Robert De Niro. Bro. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> when De Niro pops up in this movie, I wasn't drinking water, but if I was, it would have been a spit take. My jaw hit the fucking floor when I, I saw De Niro in this shit. I completely forgot that he plays Tuttle. Oh, my God. So I'm not sure, like, <laughs> did they do opening credits? Because <laughs> either I wasn't paying attention or it didn't register in my brain. No, they don't do opening credits. Okay. They do the, the, the neon title of Brazil, and that's pretty much it. Okay, yeah. Because I didn't know anything about this movie. <laughs> so, oh, that's great. De Niro popping up, one of the five most surprising moments of my year so far. <laughs> In a movie like this. Insanity. <laughs> what is he doing? Nominated for Best Original Screenplay and Best Art Direction at the Oscars. The latter, I would say, is well-deserved. The former, eh, not so much. Um, I will admit, Adam, mm. I began watching this movie Sunday night. Okay. I fell asleep. Oh, okay. So I returned to it Monday night. Yes. About 45 minutes in. <laughs> Said, now we're going to finish this fucker. And I once again fell asleep. <laughs> That's funny. So this movie took me three viewings. To actually finish. Three viewings. Aww. Which is actually kind of appropriate because this movie is a fever dream. Like yeah. This movie in many ways is the physical embodiment of, of, of a fictional reality. Like a reality that can only live in your head when you're sleeping. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of an extension of my dream. I felt like as I was dozing off, I was watching this weird imagery with... Jonathan Price, the Red Sparrow from Game of Thrones, a reference you won't understand, uh, was like, he's had angel wings. Oh, yeah. And he was saving this damsel in distress who's also a taxi cab driver. And they're in this steampunk futuristic reality where there are weird 
air conditioning units <laughs> that run from building to building and there's this obsession with with plastic surgery what the hell is going on like i was so lost and i'll admit i still don't understand the plot of this movie it is it is very hard to pin down it is yeah what what, what do you what do you want me to explain about it just like what happens in the movie yeah do your best Oh, this is this. What this ultimately just turns into is a guy trying to like save the woman he loves, essentially, from from a very like totalitarian, uh, oppressive government. You know that you know, strives for like materialistic shit and all that other fun stuff that you see in a lot of bleak dystopian future films. And he kind of lives in his dreams, and he dreams of something far better than his shitty apartment with a thousand air conditioning shafts and whatnot. And uh, the movie just uh, – I don't want to – it doesn't really devolve. It just gets progressively more and more, uh, I don't know, dreadful in the way that he's be- he's being pursued by these guys because he's constantly doing things that they don't like in order to find this person. Because ultimately what it comes down to is he sees this girl. He really loves her, and it's about him trying to find her and, right. and get her away from this horrible world that they live in. But it begins, though, yeah. after a man is wrongfully accused of a crime – Mm-hmm. is arrested and then in the process of the arrest is accidentally killed off screen. Yes. So at first he's tracking down what happened, what went wrong. And I guess the explanation is that a fly got into a typewriter. <laughs> Which I love, by the way. And so initially the guy that was supposed to be arrested's last name is Tuttle. Is Robert De Niro. Who's played by Robert De Niro. And he, correct me if I'm wrong, is a rogue air conditioning repairman? Who is a vigilante from the law because he's going around fixing people's air conditioning units. <laughs> kind of, yeah. What do you mean, kind of? Isn't that exactly what happens? I mean, I mean, he's a little more of that. I would say he's like full-blown vigilante. It's just the fixing air conditioning systems is like his Robin Hood thing, I guess. That's about all it is. Uh, oh, it's, it's a little crazy. I was so confused. This movie is such an acid trip. Yes, it's awesome. Though. It actually reminded me of like when I would have... You ever have a dream... And you're so into the dream, you're like, holy shit, this would make a great movie. Yeah. And then you wake up and you grab your phone. I've done this many times. And you start writing. And I start writing out all the ideas from the dream because I'm like, this would make a great screenplay. And then I go back two hours later, read the notes, and it makes absolutely no sense. I would say this makes absolutely no sense. That's what this movie is. No, 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 no. I wouldn't say it makes no sense. It's just the movie is, it's just weird. It's just a lot of very, very weird ideas for this futuristic landscape. I wouldn't say that there's no logic behind it, though. Um, I mean, I guess. If it, I squint, I can see the logic. Nah, it makes sense to me. It's very muddled. It's Yes, but I, I think it's fitting for this world. It doesn't feel like the, the actual narrative thrust, like what is specifically going on with these characters is ever lost in the thick, if you're asking me. It's just some of the details of the world are a little weird. And you're like, wait, what? Why yeah. Why do they have magnifying glasses on every single monitor? Sure. <laughs> it's like, why do they need this? Why is everything a bunch of fanciful nonsense? There's a lot of fanciful nonsense. But that's the point, now, though. It's I just- will say, there is some production design, and obviously I, I think it should have won Best Art Direction at the oh Oscars my God. that year. There is some production design that I will never forget. Like, those computers, the small office mm-hmm. room that he has... <laughs> Where he's trying to pull the desk. That's been divided into two, <laughs> and yes, he's sharing a desk with someone on the other side of the wall. 
and they're fighting for desk space. It's so funny. that's like, how do you even think of that? It's so funny. How do you dream that up? This is the guy who made the animations in Monty Python, and if you're yeah. familiar with the animations in Monty Python, it's some of the sickest shit ever made. Right. It's great though, but it's it's like it could only come from someone like Terry Gilliam. Sure. It's and one of the things I love so much about this film is that it's such a clear vision that could only come from specifically this man. Yeah. It's like this is such a Gilliam film. It's the same reason why I could watch something like Twelve Monkeys, which is also excellent, but that is clearly a Gilliam film or Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and so on and so forth. Yeah. It was the second in Gilliam's trilogy of imagination. The first was the movie Time Bandits in 1981. Mm-hmm. The third was The Adventures of Baron Munchausen in 1988. All three movies are about escapes from an awkward, ordered society seen through the eyes of a child, a man in his 30s, and an elderly man. Mm-hmm. So, have you seen all three of those movies? No. Okay. I am sure uh, that they are all uh, equally, equally weird. Yes, I would imagine so. That is my I, guess. The one, yeah. Uh, I, Time Bandits is on my list. Uh, the Baron film. I always forget what it's fully called. Baron Munchausen. Munchausen. The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. I need to see, I need to see all of them. Uh, I still want to see The Fisher King, though. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, good movie. Yeah. But like I've, I've seen The Brothers Grimm, and it's like, oh. Okay. It's kind of weird for Gilliam, but whatever. So the working title was 1984 and a half. It was an ode to both the Orwell's 1984 and Fellini's Eight and a Half. Mm-hmm. I like that title. And I guess... Yeah, the themes are there. It is there's this weird through line where explosions keep happening mm-hmm. in in various locations, uncomfortable places. Like again, like because uh, they think Tuttle is a terrorist who's again doing his best to thwart the government and bring him down. Right, and that's why those explosions are happening because he's he's not only the Robin Hood figure, he's also you know a terrorist actively fighting them. But it's unclear: is he actually responsible for the bombings? I don't think it matters. At the end of the day. Like, is that but, what the air conditioning well, shit is? He does. He is the guy who's responsible for killing those guys uh, who blow up after getting the shit uh, poured into their, their yeah. system. No, I know so, that. So maybe that's part of them. But I thought that they did that themselves. So is that it, it's intentional that you don't know or it's just incoherence that's responsible for why you don't know? It could, I don't know. Maybe it could be. I don't think the film's really about Tuttle, though, is the thing. I mean, I sort of lose track of that because it's just not what I'm interested in. Okay. Especially with the ending. Oh, my God, with that ending. Yeah. So there's a twist ending of sorts. After the main character, Jonathan Price, is kidnapped by the government for aiding and abetting this criminal, mm-hmm. he breaks out in glorious fashion and the two of them ride away into the sunset, which is this picturesque, uh, naturalistic landscape that <laughs> resembles our reality, not the steampunk yes. reality. Forgot to mention that Michael Palin is in this film as well. Yes, he is. He gets shot in the head in that scene. Yes, he is. It's great. Oh, I love. I love Michael Palin so fucking much. And I believe De Niro was supposed to play that role, mm-hmm. but well, actually, I think Gilliam insisted not. No, actually, it was. I think it was actually John Cleese was asked to play that role. Oh. I, I don't know if at any point Robert De Niro wanted to play that role, but I do know that um, uh, John Cleese was like, "Can I? could you please put me in this film and cast me for this character? And then he's like, I already hired M- Michael for this. Right. I'm sorry. Maybe next time. Fuck you, fellow Python. Couldn't find any room for your buddy. <laughs> yeah, that's a dick move. Yeah. So he breaks out, mm-hmm. and then we come to find out that was um, a fictionalized reality. That was just a dream, like many of the dreams that Jonathan Price had engaged in up until that point. In fact, he was still chained to that chair. He never broke away, and they imply that he had been lobotomized by the end of the movie. No. 
or brain dead? No, he was just brain dead. Okay. He was so just shocked by what had happened to him because they had actually, they had actually killed the girl that he was, you know, chasing after very like abruptly. It's just like, boom, well, guess what? She's dead. Yeah. And he just can't believe it. And then he just kind of lives in his head, you know, in that dark, empty room as he's just strapped to that chair. Right. And they're like, there's nothing we can do for him. He's gone. We'll Which just, is awfully bleak. We'll just leave him here. It, Again, I, I remember watching that film and like thinking about how it could relate to us. And I'm like, oh, just just the idea that this world can be so shitty that we can just live in our imaginations the whole time and kind of be uh, uh, kind of cast aside with the, what's really going on. I don't know. It kind of worked for me because I'm like, yeah, no, there's plenty of things that we get wrapped up in where it's like, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're certainly ignoring like the uh, a lot of the bad things that are ever present with, you know, the way our government operates and whatnot. It's clearly not this bad. But there's, it's certainly got its feet in reality. Otherwise, I don't think Gilliam would have, you know, I guess constructed it in this way. Okay. Um, I am not sure if I like this movie. <laughs> Can I just say that? I'm really... Because it was, again, a total fever dream. It, mm-hmm. It's almost... And I'm, I don't know if it quite worked on me in the way, like, a David Lynch movie works on me. Um. It's fine. It's plugged in. Don't worry I was going to say. Is, Adam was concerned. I was like, no fucking way. That's a different plug. We're okay. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Um, so I, I don't know like if it if it quite achieved David Lynch level. It's where not- it's like that movie, I'm just in a trance. At any time I watch it, like Mulholland Drive, um, uh, Bl- Blue Velvet, those movies, they just come over me and I buy into the reality. This movie felt a little more muddled, a little more frenetic. Not really my style, but maybe that's just my own personal bias. Mm. And I don't think I'm alone because it was a massive failure in the United States. And the movie is only known as a cult classic at this point. And listen, ask 30 guys that are our age. 29 of them have never heard of it. Filmmakers have heard of this movie, though. Sure. It's very beloved by filmmakers, especially like Neil Marshall, for example. Uh but yeah, no, it, it it's more prominent in the cult scene, even though I think it's a, a great film. Again, it's another one of these great films, but it's, it's I, I think, honestly, all of Gilliam is kind of an acquired taste. Yes. It's honestly my least favorite of the Gilliam film. No, no, not uh, Jesus. It's uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, for example, is my least favorite of all the Gilliam films that I've seen. Yep. But a lot of that is just due to like just the nauseating quality of his films at times. Yeah, they're very in your face, and yeah. there's a lot of stuff in the frame. They're so wide. His, his, yeah. his movies are so fucking wide. It's just like you're, you're, he's like shooting it on like a 15 millimeter lens. It's fucking nuts. It's yeah, like, man. You would never do that. But it's just like weird and it's oppressive and it's just it's scary. It's and smothering. It, That's yeah. exactly right. I think it's completely appropriate in this though. Okay. In something like Brazil, where it's trying to make that point about your own reality, I think it's I think it's fitting, and I get it. It's like, yeah, no, I see where he's coming from. I I've I have felt that before, even just in my life. It makes sense to me. Okay. Um, I don't hate you so much for nominating it, but I will say, it was a strange time. It, it was a it's a strange it's a strange movie. Yes, no, I, w- I, I I would not <laughs> recommend putting it on as you're dozing off uh, to sleep. Let me put it that way. No. Watch this movie when you are alert. It will give you nightmares. <laughs> yeah. Not on any narcotics. I would I, recommend not smoking. Before I mean, you watching. could if you really wanted to. I mean, that just blows your mind open even more. You could smoke when watching this. I wouldn't recommend getting high on LSD or anything. Yeah. It's a bad trip. Oh, one more thing. Why is this movie called Brazil? 
It's in reference to the song that he's singing at the end. So they're not in Brazil. No, Brazil is just like that 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 wonder that wonderful song that he has in his dreams, and it's a, almost sort of a well, what's the best way to describe? It's almost like the 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 wrapping of this better future that he wants. Okay, that's, that's the point. Of the so song. that's his escape. The the movie was inspired by Terry Gilliam walking on a beach covered with like like muck and shit and garbage, and like like a like a terrible storm coming in like like closer and closer to him. And there was this homeless man sitting on the beach just humming it. Oh, and you're like, it, it, I think once you hear that story, it's like that makes total sense. Okay, I <laughs> how he could have come to that? Yeah. All right. So it's the reality that he builds for himself to escape the more oppressive one. Precisely. Got it. They're not in Brazil. No. Okay. <laughs> Is that what you, okay, see, I... That's I, what I assumed for an hour and a half. <laughs> I will admit, I thought that when I first saw it, and then, well, when I was coming into the movie, and then when I started watching, I was like, yeah, this isn't Brazil. What are they talking about? And then I realized, oh, it's the song. I got it. I was so lost. This movie's so confusing. <laughs> Oh, one more fun fact. Tom Cruise was originally considered for that starring role. <laughs> and he didn't want to read for it. How would that affect your enjoyment of this movie? Uh, Tom Cruise was in it. I mean, it ends with Tom Cruise being, being you know, brain dead. I'm, I'm cool with that. All right. <laughs> Fine. All right, here we go. Next movie. The Breakfast Club. Hmm. Another beloved film. Yes, I would say the second most beloved on this list. Yep. Written and directed by John Hughes, who, by the way, like, was super uh, prolific. At the time? In the mid 80s. I didn't realize, like, how close together all of these movies were. So he just did 16 Candles in 84. Mm-hmm. 85, he does Weird Science and Breakfast Club. Also wrote the script for European Vacation. Mm-hmm. And then in 86, does Ferris Bueller. Oh, that's right. So all of these movies, he did like five to six movies in a two-year span. And then 87, he has Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Right. Which is like insane to me. And it should be an inspiration to all of like the struggling screenwriters out there Mm -hmm. who are like, I just can't sit down and write this stupid thing. You got John Hughes just pounding away at the screenplays. This one, for The Breakfast Club, written in two days. (laughs) Two days. Don't you love that? It's crazy. It's like, just write, guys. Just fucking write. Who cares? Just do it. Yeah, there's a certain mentality that special filmmakers have, and I would consider John Hughes a special filmmaker. Yes. Where it's just, I'm going to keep making shit, mm-hmm. and I am going to ignore the voices in my head that say, don't make it, which I think is how most screenwriters and filmmakers act. You know, they're, they're always, uh, th- there's always a, a level of insecurity that comes along with whatever you're doing, because I think artists, generally speaking, are self-loathing people. Mm-hmm. So there's always an element of doubt for someone like John Hughes. It's just like, yeah, I'm just going to make six movies or Clint Eastwood makes a movie a yeah. year. Woody Allen makes a movie a year and that's what they do. And they don't let any of the noise get in the way. And there's a laid back quality with John Hughes. Like I don't, I don't think I've ever seen an interview with him or, right. or even bother. There's just, he's just John Hughes. And well, he same with movies. Woody Allen and Clint though. A similar Kinda. thing. There's a yeah. lack of pretentiousness. Yeah, absolutely. It's like every time Tarantino comes out with a movie, I mean, once upon a time in, in, Hollywood, you're already seeing the hype train build for that three months in advance. I know it's like this guy has been has been hidden in his log cabin, uh, typing on his old fashioned typewriter, you know, crafting his next work of cinematic excellence. Oh my god! And it's like Woody Allen's just eh, 
I'm making a movie this year, and I'll make another one next year, and some will be good, and some will be bad, but you'll see them anyway because I'm Woody Allen. I love that. Yeah. I love that. There's something very admirable about it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's John Hughes. The movie stars Emilio Estevez. Emilio! You weren't there for that podcast. No. Okay. Uh, Anthony Michael Hall, Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, and Ali Sheedy. That five sum has later been referred to as the Brat Pack. Yep. An iconic group from the mid 80s came to define teen culture and uh, cinematic culture in general, I guess, in the 1980s. It's an important movie from that respect. Not my favorite Emilio Estevez film, though. Which favorite? Repo Man. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's not The Public, the new. Uh, Cincinnati-based movie? Well, you know. That our friend Nick Evangelista had tickets to the premiere to? That's already the best film ever made from what I hear, right? Nick said it was all right. (laughs) (laughs) He's made some good movies, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen any of them, but whatever. (laughs) Neither have I. The movie opens. All these children that you spit on as they try to change their worlds are immune to your consultations. They are quite aware of what they are going through. That's a quote from a David Bowie song. Um, and I think explicitly sets the intention of this movie from the drop mm-hmm. and came to, uh, uh, I-, I think, speak for a certain generation of high school student. That's the thing about the 80s. And it's one of the themes that I think we can discuss, at least in regards to Return of Living Dead, Back to the Future and Breakfast Club. Um, the mid 80s, for better or for worse, centered around teenagers Oh, yeah. And what they were going through. And I was starting to think about why that is. Because in the 70s, you certainly don't have that. In the 90s, you have a little bit of that. And now in the 2000s to 2010s, you all you, you pretty much have none of that. Like, no. very few main characters in movies are teenagers anymore. Mm-hmm. Or high school students anymore. And I think there's something to be said about that era of politics. The Reagan administration. Uh, the... Um, the over-reliance on conservative values okay. or the values of, of parents. And I think there, there was sort of a, a, a uh, you know, the 60s and the 50s came to define the American teenager. I think the 80s revitalized the American teenager as a person that is capable of their own original thoughts mm-hmm. and that refused to be defined by mom and dad. Is it That's a- explicitly what Back to the Future is all about. Oh, God, yeah. Right? Like, it's a kid... Literally traveling back to 1955, meeting younger versions of his parents and learning that, holy shit, these people who are lame and are taken advantage of by Biff in 1985 were actually real people who, you know, lived the life similar to the life I was living. Okay. Um, And so I just think that's interesting. And now in 2019... Teenagers are kind of lame. <laughs> Teenagers are less dangerous than they were in the 80s. So oh, I think God, filmmakers yeah. have embraced them less and less as the years have gone by. What do you think about that? Just nothing as interesting about them, you mean? Yeah. Is it a post-war thing, maybe? Um, I think it's the internet. Uh, I think it's the internet. In the 80s? Or, the, or today? I think in, the, in 2019. I think okay. now... Teenagers are inherently less interesting because they've been brainwashed by the internet. Okay. And I just think there's nothing dangerous about them. You don't think they can reflect as easily as, you know, the adults could? 
or something? Well, not reflect. They're just, they are... Um, just out of touch? They're just incapable of original thought. <laughs> I don't know. That's my experience with teenagers now. You could say, I mean, you could attribute it uh, something like that to like some of the themes in like Brazil, though, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like, I, I do like movies that explore how a generation is just lost and they don't know how lost they actually are. Yeah. And there's a lot to be said, I think, about our generation for that reason. It's like we, we don't. I think with, with everything being as fluffed out as it is for us now, we don't understand how bad it can actually be. Yes. Which is why something like the uh, the 80s uh, uh, teenagers is a little more interesting because they had to deal with stuff that was – again, they, they were kind of when – I, when I say post-war, they were kind of coming off of a post-war era and things were getting fluffed out for them. But for some well, reason – post-war, but also in the middle of Cold War. Yeah, I know. So, so, so that's there, another aspect. There's a there's – a, a, there was always, I guess, from the seventies on, the the level of social unease was just unlike anything we had seen before. Aside from maybe, uh, uh, Jesus, I don't know. Yeah, such just segregation. Maybe that's about it. Yeah, it certainly reflected across all art forms too. Mm-hmm. Like music at the time mm. was oh. aimed specifically at punk teenagers, and, and I guess all music in a way is aimed at teenagers. But there was a specific sensibility in that music um, that to me just screams young and rebellious and yeah. uh, they wear makeup and they don't care what mom and dad says. And it was very black and white. You were either getting uh, like, like the st- stuff that was as popular as like queen at the time. Yeah. Or you were getting like dead Kennedy's, sure. <laughs> which is like the polar opposite. Exactly. You know, and that, that was essentially how black and white it was with people. But the fact that it was just, it's that- Michael Jackson or it's the cure. Yeah. Yeah, or Agent Orange or whatever. Sure. Just shit like that, you know? It's pretty great. Yeah, and I, I, I think that is the legacy of The Breakfast Club. It's almost more than a movie at this point. Mm-hmm. Actually, viewing it as a movie sort of undersells it because there's not much to the movie. It's no, not it's an exquisitely not. directed movie. No. It's a fairly well-written movie. I think it's a incredibly well-performed movie. Yes. But it's a limited story. It takes place basically in one room the entire time. Which I don't mind. I don't mind it either. And it's just sort of a hangout movie where teenagers act like teenagers and you get a glimpse into their head. And although the themes aren't all that complicated and aren't all that uh, world changing, it's uh, it's it's very affecting. It's relatable as it's fuck. It's very relatable. Oh yeah. my god. Well, I the funny thing is I've had people completely miss the point of this movie though. Okay. I've had actually multiple people just hate this film because they the it it they they think the movie is treating these subjects uh Jesus. I got I'm I'm tangled up here. Okay. But, <laughs> but I I've seen people th- uh, look at this film and treat it as though it's 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 handling its subjects far too like superficially like the easiest way possible because it's checking off the boxes of you have the the bully the athlete the princess the freak and the nerd right you know it's like oh that's not how it really is but i'm like but no no the point of the film is that you relate to all of them to a certain extent sure that's the point and that's why they come together in the end in the way that they do well you first view them as just those archetypes exactly that's the point they're mm-hmm. supposed to be thinly drawn at first well that's because how the characters see each other yes so they can become more complicated as the plot develops yes and by the end of it all of these characters have a close bond simply because of proximity yes 
which is kind of how humans operate. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting study in just human nature and, and human communication and how it can bring us together. But I just love the notion that there's something to be had from every single one of these people. Right. Like the, the, the guy in high school that you thought you fucking hated, you know, you can actually really connect to him on a pretty human level. Yeah, the punk that is smoking pot yeah. in the bathrooms and messing with the principal mm-hmm. is actually the most chivalrous and the, yeah. and the most morally sound of all five of these characters. Oddly. Yeah. You know? The the uh, the athlete is actually the most cowardly. The freak is actually the most interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, that is that is entirely the point. You're right. They are supposed to be archetypes at first, so you can learn more about them as the plot goes on. And the movie does take its time to get there. Like at first, these characters don't want to be together. No, they spend a lot of time fighting and bickering about nothing. And it's not until like the last half hour where they're sitting around in the circle talking about why they've been given detention on Saturday afternoon. Oh, I love that scene. Do they finally open up to each other mm-hmm. and begin becoming emotional and at and with certain characters they start hooking up and Yeah. Uh I I appreciated the realism and I appreciated the adherence to how teenagers would actually operate in those situations. And I believe it. I believe it because I lived it. Yeah, me too. Right? <laughs> like, that was my high school experience. Yeah. People never... that I hated, but I spent a lot of time with them in class, or... and I grew to love them. No, exactly. I was just about to say, I thought you were going to end with, like, people I hated, but I listened to them anyway. Or, but no, but you, you fixed yourself with, yeah. I grew to love them. And I'm like, yeah, plenty of people that I, uh, I knew that I'm just like, I don't know about you. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wow, there's a lot more to this person than I originally thought. Sure. You know, and shame on me and that kind of thing. Yeah. You know? It's a, it's a it's very touching in that way though. Sure. It, it's a, it's I'm always surprised when people say that they don't like this movie. I'm like I, I think you're judging it way too quickly. What's not to like? I don't know. No, exactly. <laughs> no, but I have had many people be like, "Yeah, for that reason, I can't get into this." I'm like, "No, I seriously think you're judging the film way too quickly. Watch the movie." Right. The scene by the way where they were all sitting in a circle on the floor yeah. talking about why they were in detention. By the way, this is set in one day. Eight hours of detention on a Saturday afternoon, five high school students. Mm-hmm. That scene, totally improvised. Ooh. Ad-libbed. Wow. Yeah. How do you like them apples? That's cool. <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> totally ad-libbed. Um, the rest of the movie, just a just an awesome hang. And I think if I saw this in the 80s, obviously, like I grew up in a different time and my perception of teenagers is slightly skewed if i saw this and i was in high school in 1985 it would be my favorite movie you know it would just it would speak to me in um in in ways that uh you know some of the classic movies of the 70s just wouldn't be able to i agree you know so uh it's a right place right time movie for sure is it john hughes's best film some people might say so no 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 no. You go Planes, Trains? I go Ferris. Really? Okay. Yeah. That's a good question for me, though. And then I go Planes, Trains. And then I go this. And then I go 16 Candles. Mm. Dean Stan is in 16 Candles. Yeah. Oh, God. That's tough. I do have a lot a lot of love for Ferris Bueller. Even though I, I think if you're, if you're talking about... As far as like what a film has to say, I think there's a little bit more to gain from here or even Planes, Trains. But... Oh, it's impossible not to love Ferris Bueller. Oh, In fairness, movie. though, this movie is all about intention. It's That's all okay. about the themes. Sure. Which can be a little frustrating. Sure. So 
to say that this has more to say than Ferris Bueller, yeah. of course. It's a movie about five characters talking about their lives. Mm-hmm. So you're going to uncover a lot of stuff about them. Sure. Ferris Bueller is a more entertaining movie, though. Yes, I agree. I think by a mile and a half. Okay. Um, yeah, what else did he do? Uncle Buck? Yeah, I like Uncle Buck. I've never seen She's Having a Baby. <laughs> never seen it either. Okay. Only directed eight movies. Yeah, I know. But wrote a shit ton. Oh, my God, yeah. Good for him, though. Yeah. Nick Cage originally considered for the role of John Bender. They couldn't afford him. Mm. <laughs> no. You know, I mean, yes, but no. <laughs> I love it. Like. Sure. Yes, but no. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Judd Nelson is incredible in it. Yes, I, I, I was going to say, like, uh, I get, he is so fucking right for this role. I just love him in that. I love every, I think this is phenomenally casted. That's the other thing that just makes it. They just know, they just knew exactly what they had to do. Right. It's just, a, again, it's an on point movie that just checks all the right boxes. And it just doesn't really have a misstep. I don't know. Thinking of trying for a scholarship. <laughs> all right, here we go. Finally. Ooh, this is my ultimate revenge one. Maybe. I don't know. Ran. Ran. Listen to you, you fuck. And I ran. <laughs> I ran so far away. I couldn't get away. From Ran. <laughs> Could not get away from this movie. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Written and directed by Akira Kurosawa. Yeah. That's a Japanese guy, Adam. Yes, it is. Because this is a Japanese movie. <laughs> it's very Japanese. <laughs> Extremely Japanese. <laughs> Starring a bunch of people I won't try to pronounce. <laughs> Ran or Ron. Ron. Means chaos Accurate. in Japanese. Accurate. Won the Oscar for Best Costume Design. Mm-hmm. Nominated for Best Director, Best Cinematography, and Best Art Direction. Based on the play King Lear by a guy named Willie Shakes. Willie Shakes. However, Kurosawa has since said, or I guess said at the time of development, that it was not his intention to make this a King Lear adaptation. He started writing the movie 10 years earlier, and it sort of turned into a King Lear (laughs) adaptation. Which is kind of weird. This was supposed to be a movie about his life and his experience. Um, I'm going to let you talk about this movie. Okay. This is... uh... I have a lot of love and admiration for uh, many Kurosawa films. I've seen quite a few. Uh, I understand that uh, Seven Samurai is probably his best. It's absolutely his greatest. Uh, but this happens to be my favorite of wow. his films that I've seen. There is something about this film that just speaks to me more than all of his other films. It's it's so big, but it's maybe his most personal. It's so big. It's it's so expressive and bombastic at times, and just saturated in is in in all forms. Whether it's just production design, characters, performances, color, but oh my god, there's just something so ugh, just dark about this movie and it's just so real and honest about what it means to grow old or how to raise a family or just keeping on a legacy or what what your legacy can mean and, and reflecting on your legacy especially it's just a, it's and it's sad and it's not it does it doesn't really pull punches and it's it, it certainly goes places in my opinion and I think it's maybe one of his greatest achievements and a lot of that's kind of a common consensus. It's his last great epic, but uh, it's like, wow, man, way to go out in style. Cause this is a, to me, a, 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 just a masterpiece of a film. Um, 
<laughs> Assuming you like Japanese films. <laughs> now let's get to that. <laughs> okay, let me ask you a question. What do you think I thought about this movie? God, dude, I don't fucking know. Do your best. Uh, I think you had trouble getting past the performances. Okay. I, I thought, you know, the maybe the reading into it like like literally reading as much maybe bothered you because you're gonna you're gonna be one of those guys subtitles fuck this shit uh, i read books i watch movies adam that's generally <laughs> i get you how i operate I get you. there's plenty to watch here uh i i maybe you 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 weren't interested in the characters even though i love these characters uh ooh, i don't know maybe you found it annoying <laughs> why do you assume that all of my criticisms are bad i don't know i don't know because i'm being cautious because generally you hate everything i suggest <laughs> i don't know go ahead take okay. it away i don't care um i think this is a very admirable movie okay and i understand why some would consider it a masterpiece mm-hmm. this is another example though i go to the museum i say wow oh. look at that picasso incredible painting yeah but i don't need to look at it again <laughs> you know Ooh, i've seen this movie a few times too yeah i appreciate it from a distance you're right the the performances are cued to an interesting volume specifically with the father character and forgive me i won't be able to reference all of the names um it's it's very over the top. I, I guess I wasn't so bothered by it because it wasn't in the English language. Mm-hmm. So I was almost prepared for the language barrier and in that way was prepared for the cultural barrier. That's what happens a lot of times when you watch a, um, a foreign movie is that the performances are and the dialogue mean less and less and it's more about the visuals. Yes. So I was able to forgive a lot of the acting. I wasn't as bothered by that. Okay. I think it's a gorgeous movie, like just stunningly gorgeous and unlike anything I've ever seen before. Okay. The burning building halfway through this movie. That No, no, no. That entire yeah. sequence. That shot is... Th- th- yeah, you're right. That sequence is chilling. It's... F- oh, and the music in that scene and everything, but with the performances and just the unforgettable shots, like with the arrows going by him yep. as he's just sitting there realizing that he's fucked. Yes. Oh, it's so wonderful, man. You said last time we did this podcast... Very few close-ups, if any close-ups. I don't think there was a single one. No. You find that admirable? I guess I also find it admirable, but it did sort of... I don't know. There was a there was a lack of propulsion to the editing. Mm-hmm. So I guess I won't call it slow, because like story-wise, it wasn't paced slow, but there was something about the direction that felt very stagey. Mm-hmm. And I guess that bothered me. There are very few cuts. Like a lot of it, there there are a lot of wonners in this movie. Oh, God, yeah. And it, there's a lot of just like three characters sit in a circle and have a conversation. And you're there watching that one wide shot. And it's almost like you're watching a play, but it's very non-stagey in the action. So there was this weird... I don't know this weird tension that bothered me. It was it it, it was well, that, a bit off kilter. Well, that's sort of why I like it though. Like it's very uh, it's because it's almost it's raw 
and it's very matter of fact about its yes, scenes. Certainly. It doesn't care. There's a lack of judgment. Exactly. It. It's very much like here's what we're dealing with and here's the picture and and just just process it. And a lot of that goes along with just what this story is dealing with and just how unforgiving the movie actually is. So in a way that that's that style actually felt very appropriate for me. It's about bigness, but it's about very like unfortunate bigness in that way, which right. is why like certain shots that are just solid wonders of like two or three people sitting in a circle and it doesn't really change that at all. It's just like guys, we're we're dealing with this problem right now and and you as the audience have to deal with it with them. And it's not always going to end well. Right, it so just, it just kind of worked for me. We should explain the plot. Yeah, if you're not familiar with this or the play King Lear, Father is this warlord. He has this massive sprawling kingdom in Japan, yeah. and he's getting old, and he decides to divvy up the kingdom amongst his three sons. Yes, and chaos ensues from there. One son who is the most loyal of the three to his father is banished, and the other two engage in this civil war. For power. For, yeah, for, for power. And uh, it tears this family apart. Yes. Which is, as you said, an insanely personal way to look at this big subject matter. Mm-hmm. Because there are hundreds of extras. Oh, my God. And there are massive sets. And there is costuming that it, it the amount of detail paid to the costuming oh, is wondrous. I love it. Right. So there is, you're right, there's this bigness, but the story is incredibly personal and it's about getting older and it's about giving away the spoils of your riches to the next generation and how the next generation rejects the way that you often do things and in that way i saw a lot of parallels to kurosawa's career although i am not like a kurosawa historian this is the only movie of his i've seen (laughs) there is something about you know a, a a young filmmaker getting old trying to live in the young person's world and always coming at odds with it Yep. Um, and I mean, I guess it's the case with with all art. They often uh, times the, the younger generation abandons the framework that has been set up by the older generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I found a lot of that to be resonant. Yeah, I did. I found it to be emotionally resonant and I get it. I just can't help but thinking eh, I was a little bored because <laughs> I don't find it boring at all. I was a bit bored. Oh, because again, and a lot of that is just due to its presentation. And again, it's another one of those movies where presentation almost entirely like that alone can sell me through the film. Just the way this film, you know, constructs everything around it. And again, like you said, this the the level of detail, the the ominous quality to many scenes in this film and many shots, and just how that tells its story in reference to the characters that it's already set up, and just the characters in general. I'm just very very fascinated by the Hidetoro character yeah. and what he's gone through. And again, like what his legacy means to him in the end and how that changes based on him getting rejected by his sons him getting rejected by his sons causes him to reflect on his own legacy and by doing that and venturing out into the essentially the wasteland he comes across people that he has essentially abused or or completely ruined and it's fascinating just to see him try to handle it and seeing what, what his ultimate conclusions are yeah but even then, even after finding conclusions, life doesn't necessarily treat him fairly. But I just love that level of honesty with this movie. It's just such a it, – it really it, – it's weird because I think it, it it's very interested in its characters, but it's not afraid to crucify them if it has to. Yes. So. Again, a lot to appreciate. Yes. And I um, love that final shot. It's maybe one of my favorite final shots in a movie. God, I love it. Um, the blind man over the cliff. Oh, so smart. 
I don't imagine I'll revisit this again. And that's fine. I didn't expect you to. Yeah. I expected you to hate this movie. <laughs> yeah, no, listen. There was a lot off kilter. There was a lot of stuff that is not exactly my taste. It changes, I think, once you watch enough films yeah. of this nature. Because I, I, like, when I first started watching Japanese films, I'm like, I don't get this at all. I don't get it. I don't get it. But then I would go back to like certain movies, for example. <laughs> like I remember when I first saw uh, Shin Godzilla, which is the most recent Toho film, live action Toho, and it is so Japanese to the point where it's honestly like jarring and you, you can't handle it. But there's something so oddly compelling about it that I would go back and back and back and watch it again to the point where it's like, oh, I sort of get this film's attitude and I'm starting to become accustomed to it and I feel like uh you know it's it's been tailored for me now that i've actually had time to really you know sit with it and appreciate it you know it's you know the films like this for us where there is a cultural bear require a little bit of rewatchability yep you know they need they kind of just demand your attention i i didn't hate it okay i didn't hate it that's fine i was able to look at it from a distance and appreciate what i was seeing right. like like a painting um <laughs> it's a painting all right yeah it, it's stunning the costumes are just unbelievable oh my god i love it <laughs> I love the of, oh the ending with the uh, where he where the 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 henchman of the of the one of the sons who who's painted red the entire time yep. kills the wife yep. just so oh that's such a I remember how much that freaked me out when I first saw it oh yeah the, <laughs> the blood is scared the shit oh out my of me. god it's jarring because the, the movie is not is not afraid to get bright with its color palette but the, you know what I realized that the brighter it gets with that the more freaky it actually right. is yeah, yeah. um and. You know, all of the different military uniforms and each brother is dressed in a different color and it's clear though it's yeah That's... it's easy to sort of distinguish and it, and it also makes those battle sequences uh a lot easier to follow too because mm-hmm. it's not like i'm i'm just watching a a clusterfuck of gray no yes exactly and, and, and it does make it more visually engaging i agree with that so yeah i think it's expert level filmmaking here even though it, it chooses to go as wide as it does yeah it i mean some people might say it's to a fault but again i think it's appropriate for this story that he's telling okay so yeah anything else about ron i i i fucking adore this this is my favorite film on the list I think as far as a film is concerned, it might be the best, although it's not the greatest, if you want me to be completely honest. Not the greatest film. My opinion in terms of quality, probably the best. Okay. Our six nominees once again, Back to the Future, The Return of the Living Dead, After Hours, Brazil, The Breakfast Club, and Ron. This is your moment. You have 90 seconds to tell me why Back to the Future should not win. Oh, God. Why Back to the Future should not win? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's the obvious choice is the thing. I th- I I would say it's it, technically it's not the best in terms of quality. The issue is that it's like, oh my god, I love Back to the Future more than most things. I'm going to rewatch Back to the Future more than most things. Uh maybe even more than Ron. Uh and yeah, it's it's uh there's there's not a whole heck of a lot of a case to be had, I guess. But if you wanted to make a statement, <laughs> which you like to do, Nico, you like you like your statements. I'm a bit of a, of a provocateur, I would say. Yes. You know, you could pick Ron if you wanted to. <laughs> but I, you know, I know you too well and you're not going to do that. That's the issue. I will say, you know, I'll be confident in saying that I think Ron is a better film than Back to the Future. The 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 problem is that you get down to uh uh, again, the legacy, and the problem is the legacy with Back to the Future is so enormous that it's almost hard to ignore. It's overwhelming, actually. Exactly. Yes, exactly. That's the problem. 
and then you got to talk about impact and legacy and you know obviously back to the future has the greatest legacy impact as far as like what people aped off of i would still probably say back to the future the only thing that in that ron has over is that i think it's a better movie but is that what we're judging? I'm not hearing much of a case. That's the thing. Listen, I'll be frank with you. This is the weakest year we've done so far. Mm-hmm. I do not have a ton of affection for these movies, although you do. Yes, I do. It's the middle of the 80s. We are right smack dab in the middle. Mm-hmm. And as we have said time and time again, the 80s are, I think, a low point in cinema. I think uh, the 2010s are giving it a run for their money. Mm-hmm. But the 80s, in my opinion, are the worst decade of the last 50 to 60 years. In film? In film, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think that's not even close. And this list, I think, tells you a lot about why that is. Yes, um, I agree. It was a movie about high school students, uh, a movie about zombies, uh, a movie about a guy running around New York, and then some <laughs> dystopian shit. And then you have a weird Japanese movie. Um, not a lot of there there. Sure. Not a lot of uh, ground shaking shit. Yes. It was disposable. That's the whole thing with the 80s. Mm-hmm. Disposable. And That's... now we just view it as an avenue with which we access nostalgia. Oh, my God. Right? Jesus Christ. I think early 80s is really good. And every once in a while, you get a year that's actually pretty solid. I mean, I think 84 is is not a bad year as well. But again, it's... Well, we did 87, right? Yeah, we did. Yeah. And that was an okay year. Yeah. But an okay year because there are a lot of cult classics and... Uh, you know, hits that shouldn't have been hits. Yeah. Well, you find that with the 80s, though. Again, like, same with the 94. Uh, and again, I, like, I think of, uh, or, or not 94, uh, 84, and it's like something like The Terminator is, is like one of the biggest films ever. And it's like, holy shit, like, that's the kind of movie that gets that gets a, an audience now. It's yeah, like, it's like, how did they work? Exactly. Repo Man, same thing. So, yeah. Um, okay, I'm not hearing much of a case. So There's, I think yeah. uh, this is decided, and I will happily say, that one of my favorite movies of all time, Back to the Future, has just been inducted into the Movie Hall of Fame. That's okay. I'm fine with that. Okay. Relatively painless. Yes. Cool. Interesting year to talk about. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> really told me a lot about you. <laughs> you already knew plenty about me. Uh, oh, did I ever? Yeah. All right. So next year, we're going to draft 1975. Yeah. This was your choice yet again. And here we go. Uh, you want to go first? You want me to go first? I'll go first. Okay. Jaws, of course. Of course. Sure. Jaws. Let's go with uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Dog Day Afternoon. All right. We'll go Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And now we get uh, questionable. Yes. Hmm. So, we were looking at this ahead of time. Some of these movies we have not seen. That's true. So, we may have to assign a movie or two for ourselves, or we go with ones that we have seen. I wouldn't mind going with films that I haven't seen, though. That's the thing. Screw it. I'm going to say Nashville. Okay. Okay. Your turn. Because that's one that I've been meaning to see for a very long time. Right. You know, we just we talk a lot of Kubrick. I know. Oh God, yeah, and this is not his best. Yeah, we mile. just talk a lot of Kubrick. All right, I'm gonna go with Three Days of the Condor. Okay, but That's I have not seen that movie either. 
Yeah, neither have I. So we got two films that we need to watch. Or no, I. Uh, you have seen Nashville. I have not. Oh, no. you haven't. Oh, I have shit. Not. Okay. No. All right. Oh boy. So the rest I am very familiar with. Oh god, yeah, me. Too. I've spent a lot of time with those four movies. They're like my kids at this point. Love those movies. The next two, we'll see. Maybe we'll fall in love with another one from 1975. You never know. Maybe. Yeah. Oh god. So, so there you go. For next week, I haven't seen enough Robert Altman. It's fun. Yeah, neither have I. I've seen uh, 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 McCabe and Miss Miller and. Uh, what else? And Mash, and that's it. <laughs> I love Mash. Oh, so do I. Mash is awesome. Did he do the apartment? Was that him or was that uh, Billy Wilder? I get them mixed up all the time. I think it was Billy Wilder. I'm not sure. Good question. Billy Wilder. Okay. Yes, correct. Yeah, the similar filmography. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Yeah, that'll be fun. All right. All right. Here's your homework for next week, kitties. Definitely watch One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Definitely watch Jaws. Definitely watch Dog Day Afternoon. Definitely watch Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And then uh, Three Days of the Condor in Nashville. If you want to go on an adventure with us, watch those as well. Yeah. Those are your six nominees from the year 1975. Who knows? Maybe we'll both fall in love with Nashville and we'll put it in. That will be the one that wins? Could you imagine? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Winning the two films on this list. You know what? Even just one film specifically for me. God. This is going to be fun. I have not. T- how how often do I bring up Jaws? All the time. <laughs> I bring up Jaws maybe more than uh, Alien. If we spliced all those clips together, we could probably fill a full podcast. <laughs> just me. Met- yeah. If you're talking about that and just uh, my mention of it to Nick on uh, why is this a thing? Yeah. He has not seen fucking Jaws. Maybe we should force him to watch it. I want to do like a like a, a Clockwork Orange thing and and put it you know place his eyes like wide open and put drops in his eyeballs. Force. Let's him to do watch this. It. Let's do this. Let's bring him on next week for a fifteen minute review of Jaws. Oh, okay, he's gonna hate it. <laughs> Let's I, make him watch because he always says to us, "If you want him to watch a movie, force him to watch it for the podcast." So this is your opportunity. All right. I'll text him. Okay. Yeah. Nick Evangelista will be our guest host next week. Will be. Whether he we're knows it or not. Him. Yeah, we're going to force him to do this shit. He will watch Jaws and he will join us for the recording. Oh, I'm so scared he's going to hate it. I don't, I like. How do you hate Jaws, dude? I don't fucking know. <laughs> I don't fucking know. It's, ugh. That movie is perfect. And it, well, spoiler. Anyway. It's perfect. Yes, it's yes. Perfect. Spoiler alert. Jaws is perfect. Yes. <laughs> Dude, this is a great year for movies. The yeah. 70s are awesome. Oh, my God. I'm glad that we can get out of the fucking 80s for a week. <laughs> uh, find us online on the website, tmt.media, mm-hmm. or too many thoughtsmedia.com. You are at some Adam Hall. Yes, I am. On Twitter, I am Funny Nico Tweets. Follow the entire TMT empire at TMT underscore media. You tweeted out your Scorsese rankings. <laughs> yeah, I did. Can we talk about this for like half a second? Sure. I had a feeling. Why did I know you were going to bring this up? Because I love talking about top 10 lists. Yes, you do. It's my favorite thing. But you don't like to. Well, you you ironically like talking about my list. Unless this was a good one. Was this a good one? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. So you put Taxi Driver at one, which I thought was curious because I thought Raging Bull was your favorite. I don't know, man. I go back and forth with that in Raging Bull. Yeah. Given day, I change my mind, which is why Raging Bull was number two. And then you go Goodfellas 3, 
Hugo at four. Mm-hmm. Stunning choice there, but I'll go with it. Gangs of New York at five. See, Silence at six was really interesting. <laughs> I didn't think you liked Silence that no, much. No, I know. I've, I've grown to kind of love Silence. All right, I need to see that so bad. It's one, it's one where I would almost say for sure you're not going to like it, but that movie takes a lot of time to like grow on you wow. and, and really appreciate it. Because I, I actually didn't like it that much when I first saw it. And then the more I let it sit with me and then one rewatch, I'm like, yeah, there is something really brilliant going on here. I kind of love it. Yeah. Departed. I'm sorry. King, uh, King of Comedy at seven. Makes total sense. The Departed at eight, sure. Mean Streets at nine, okay. Uh, I haven't seen Alice Doesn't Live Here anymore. Pretty good. Okay. Pretty good. I was surprised Last Waltz wasn't on there. I like the, it's, it's, like I said, it was one of three uh, honorable mentions. Who were the other two? Uh, I had Shutter Island. I know you hate Shutter Island. I hate that movie. Uh, and then I, I had, um, what was the other one? After Hours? No, it wasn't After Hours. After Hours would be in like my top seven. Shutter Island. Casino? It was Jesus Christ. Cape Fear. No, Shutter Island, Last Waltz, and fuck. Bringing out the dead. Bringing out the dead. (laughs) Why do you like that movie so much? Anyway, the Cage Baby. Ugh, was it the Casino? It might have been. Why do Why do I feel like it was not that Shutter Island? Fucking Temptation. No, maybe the Aviator. (laughs) Not a terrible movie. No, I might say the Aviator. I feel like it, that wasn't it though. He's got so many great movies, so I don't really. I'm not really sure what that other one was. Uh, maybe the Color of Money. <laughs> I like the Color of Money. Believe it or not, it's fine. Yeah, it's a sequel. Why is Why is that the Tom Cruise movie? I don't mind. Oh, Wolf of Wall Street. Okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. Fine. I'll go with the pilot of Boardwalk Empire. <laughs> That's okay. in my top ten. <laughs> All right. I love that pilot. Jesus, I have not seen it. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing else I'm I'm seeing here that would work. Yeah, I agree. No, I think I got it pretty pretty much right. New I, York, New York, never seen. Oh, New York, New York is fucking dope. Never seen. Uh, it's yeah, it's takes a lot of inspiration, or La La Land takes a lot of inspiration from it when you watch it. But yeah. Dude, good. how long is our Irishman podcast going to be? Oh no, are we gonna are we gonna go three hours on that thing? I would love to. Are we gonna hate the Irishman though? It's very possible. I'm not sure what would make it longer, if we loved it or if we hated it. Jeez, no, no. If we hated it, we could talk for a long time about <laughs> it. So let's hope we hate it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll be back next week, 1975. And until then, everybody, have you ever fantasized? about being ripped alive and killed, you know, violently. Figure that one out for yourselves. You want the return of the living dead <laughs> quote? Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs>